on the podcast, we talk about a lot of different ways to expand or advance your oncology physical therapy practice and our skills as oncopts. But one of the things we haven't talked about so far is how do you do so in an academic world? How do you really take that knowledge to the next level in that capacity? So I've brought on Steve Wexler today to actually talk about his journey as he's earning his PhD and what that means for his career as an oncology physical therapist. Stay tuned for a great episode. Welcome to the Onco PT Podcast, where you'll learn from oncology experts, practitioners, and patients to help you on your journey to become a confident and competent Onco PT. Here's your host, Elise Decker. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Onco PT Podcast. I'm thrilled because I now have a three-time guest who's on the podcast today. Get excited. It's Steve Wexler. He's back, and he's got a new set of initials he's working towards after his last name that I'm super excited to be talking about. So we're going to be talking about Steve is in the middle of pursuing his PhD and it's really, really cool. Really excited about this. When we've talked previously, this was in the works. So we're a little further along in the progress. So Steve, first off, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. I'm hoping, I'm hoping third time is the charm. (laughs) I don't don't know what that means exactly, but it's good to be back. We'll see. The other interviews went just fine, so I'm hoping this is another good one. (laughs) So one of the things I have not had discussed on the podcast so far is PhD and what it means, why people get it, what are the benefits and whatnot. And so first of all, thank you for agreeing to come on again and talking about these things, because this is something that has, it's something I'm not familiar with at all. And I know that there are PTs out there who are interested in this. And so can you tell us first off what program you're in and what specifically you are earning your PhD in? Yes, it's a good place to start. So I am a second year PhD student in um, the MGH Institute of Health Professions uh, PhD in Rehabilitation Sciences program. Um, So that's sort of a mouthful, but uh, it's an interdisciplinary program. So there's actually 10 of us in the program and I am only one of three PTs. Uh, We have an OT in our cohort and and the rest are actually speech language pathologists. So um, there's a lot of emphasis on the interdisciplinary aspect in this program. So not only is our our cohort um, a mix of of, of uh, clinicians, but all of our professors are a really nice mix as well. So we're learning from PTs, we're learning from nurses, we're learning from um, speech language pathologists. So um, gaining sort of a, a, a really rounded perspective in this program. So what exactly is a PhD? <laughs> Maybe that's an even better place to start. So, uh, so uh, a PhD, a doctorate of philosophy, and I actually, I knew you were going to ask me this, so I did a little bit of, of research. So you <laughs> and your listeners are going to get a little history lesson right now. Uh, so the PhD was first developed in Germany as the terminal teacher's credential around Ooh. 1650. Yes, yes. Uh, it was first awarded in the United States uh, by Yale in 1861. Um, And it has since, um, it's evolved into more of a research degree, which I think speaks both to the skills that are taught uh, and the requirements that most institutions have in place um, to earn one. And um, I guess maybe, maybe the easiest way to explain it is to contrast it to the DPT, 
which I have and, and you have and a lot of mm -hmm. your listeners uh, have earned or, or are working towards earning. So the DPT is a clinical doctorate, right? So um, to earn a DPT, you learn clinical skills, hands-on, really psychomotor skills, clinical decision-making. Um, the PhD, I feel like as, I, as I'm pursuing this PhD, I'm, I'm really being taught um, and in many ways uh, provided the opportunities in the space sort of being pushed out of the nest uh, to learn on my own, uh, to learn how to think. Uh, which I don't mean to sound like too egalitarian by saying that, but um, it really is sort of pushing us to think and thinking about um, complex issues from patient care to public health to healthcare systems, um, you know, from the research side of things, how to develop research questions and how to cultivate um, a research plan to um, go about investigating and answering those questions. Um, so, um, it sort of feels like the next level, which which I think is is only appropriate from from a PhD program. It's really interesting you say that, you know, it's kind of making you and helping you to start really thinking. Uh, one of the things that I feel when we get out of PT school, you know, they told us day one, at least in my program, it's like drinking from a fire hydrant and boy, they were not joking. Um, you know, learning, learning, learning so much. And we learned both, of course, you know, the safe, effective, how do you start being an effective clinician and a safe clinician? And then they taught us some of the higher skills, but so much more of that, I feel like comes when you're just kind of thrown into the fire of actually practicing. And I think sometimes we miss that, like, okay, you learn how to do the thing, but the actual like thinking higher level and then implementation is really interesting. So you made it through undergrad, you made it through PT school. That's like seven years for most programs. So you went back to school. Why did you go back to school, Steve? <laughs> uh, you mean, aside from the fact that I'm a total masochist? No, only kidding. Um, yeah, I brought this on myself, I know. But uh, the, sh <laughs> the, the, the short answer is, um, it's always sort of been a dream to go for the PhD. Um, it's always sort of seemed like the ultimate uh, academic challenge and sort of the, the pinnacle of achievement. So it's always sort of been like this shiny thing that, I, that I've wanted to go after. Um, but I graduated with my DPT from Ithaca College in, in 2012. I worked mm -hmm. for seven years clinically, uh, which I loved, um, but it was also sort of exhausting. Um, you know, dealing with documentation and, and just sort of everything that comes with a, a clinical grind. Um, I think I was experiencing some burnout. Um, and, and maybe even more than that, I was feeling like I wanted to increase my impact. Um, in the clinical position that I was in, I felt like I was, you know, I was obviously able to impact my patients on a one-on-one -on -one level. I was able to impact my, my colleagues and my clinic and um, through my clinical work, I was able to, to do some lecturing around the country, but that, that was sort of the, the largest scale I felt like I was having an impact on, and, and I felt like I wanted more. Um, I didn't really have the desire to go into management sort of on that clinical track um, or to open my own clinic. I've, I've never really been business-minded, but, um, you know, I've always wanted to teach, and sort of this was, this was a PhD was sort of a step in that direction. Um, you know, I've also sort of thinking more about my clinical past also. Um, I think, you know, through my seven years of clinical practice, I, I began to recognize certain 
patterns and certain questions that I, that I had regarding my patients and my patient care. Um, and so the other motivation I think for, for the PhD was that I wanted to gain the skills to try and answer some of those questions. Nice. How did you decide on your particular program? Um, well, location, location, location was, was, okay, was yeah, one reason. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Massachusetts and, and I wanted to come back and, and be in the Boston area. And, and this was a good program in the area. Um, the interdisciplinary aspect of it was, was a big plus. Um, you know, the fact that it's, um, you know, you can find PhD programs in physical therapy, um, but I've been learning from physical therapists all my life. Um, and, and so it's sort of on, on the advice of, of a mentor, I, I saw the value in, in, in expanding um, who I was learning from and who I was learning with. Um, so that was another big piece. And then I think maybe the ultimate um, component of this program that, that, that um, drove me towards this one um, was that they place a, um, a lot of importance on uh, preparing us to enter the academic world. Um, so they, um, you know, we had a whole course about the philosophy and the craft of teaching and, and we have a teaching practicum where we get to um, have a, um, a teaching mentor and, and, and get in front of a classroom, um, whether it's on Zoom or in person. Uh, and so uh, those were all the aspects of, of this program that, that drew me in. Nice. So for students and you know, professionals, whether the new professionals or those who have been working for a while, what benefits have you seen as, you know, you going through your PhD, what benefits are you seeing for your career as a physical therapist, whether that's in the clinic or in the academic setting or otherwise? Um, you know, I, I, I think about the PhD as um, sort of like a, a level up, um, if you have a sound effect, a video game level up. Um, exactly. Um, you know, it's, it seems like it's a, it's a way to open doors. Um, you know, certainly it can allow um, you to pursue personal career goals as, as I'm doing, whether it's to do research or teach or, or maybe consult. Um, you know, in terms of um, academe, the world of academe, CAPT um, actually currently requires accredited DPT programs to maintain at least 50% of faculty members um, with a terminal academic degree. Okay. So if the goal is to be in the world of, of academics, um, I think a PhD significantly improves your marketability, um, particularly when you think about um, the research skills and, and the track record of, of scholarship that comes with it. Um, I also think, and uh, this is changing and hopefully will continue to change, but I think right now in many stakeholders' eyes, uh, a PhD carries a lot more weight than a DPT. Uh, and when I say stakeholder, I am talking about doctors and policymakers. And, and so I think individuals with a PhD um, have an easier time getting into the rooms where decisions are being made and where policies are being developed. And so um, I think if the ultimate goal is, is to um, uh, have an impact, have a greater impact, I think, I think a PhD will allow, um, allow an individual to do that. Mm -hmm. You bring up a really good point that you know, yes, we are earning, you know, many people are earning their DPT, you know, at, currently through 
how our education system is set up, but I still don't think, and I've encountered this frequently, like DPT is not understood by the general public, but also not by a lot of the medical professionals still, unfortunately. And so I get the question a lot, even as practicing like, oh, is that, you know, is your DPT like your PhD? Like, well, I mean, not really, but <laughs> for simplicity's sake, yes. You know, it's, it's the terminal degree. Right. But there's so much that is obviously very, very different from the DPT curriculum versus the PhD. So can you talk to us a little bit about what, what exactly do you have to do to get your PhD? You know, do you go to class? Do you write research? What do you do? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I have a feeling that it varies a lot um, or, or varies somewhat program to program. So I can at least speak about my um, experience and, and sort of what I know um, from other programs requirements. Mm -hmm. uh, I do go to class. Um, <laughs> I'm taking several classes right now. Um, they're classes that are um, really entrenched in um, uh, research strategies and, and uh, research topics. So I'm learning how to do statistics at a level that I never thought I would want to or would, um, but math is cool. Um, and, you know, learning how different research philosophies, whether it's quantitatively or qualitatively, um, thinking about how to um, develop research studies to, to answer questions. Um, as far as requirements go, aside from, from the core curriculum that is required by most programs, um, one of the, the, the ways, um, or, or something that varies, I think, between programs is, is the dissertation format. Um, so my program has a dissertation format where you are responsible for writing um, three uh, peer-reviewed articles. Uh, and those three articles go together uh, and sort of create this um, portfolio that you then defend, um, which I think is pretty neat. I mean, you're, you're sort of developing a, a, a track. So, for example, uh, my first paper, I wrote a review paper to sort of map out the literature and find the gaps. And now with my next two papers, I'm going to hopefully fill those gaps. Um, and so you uh, write, 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 and then you defend, defend, defend. Uh, and at the end, you come out with a PhD. Who, how long is the process? Uh, that's also something that varies. Um, so again, speaking from, from my program, we have two years of set core curriculum and then um, there is an eventual limit, but I think the estimate is that you're gonna take another two to three years uh, to carry out your research and to write it all up and, and, and put it in a presentable format. So you finish your coursework I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to wrap my head around this, right? Mm -hmm. So you finish your coursework, which we had talked about off air. Hopefully things going according to plan will be later this year. Do you work a job like during the, that writing time for the next couple years? I mean, you know, talk to me about that. How does that process work? These are, that's, that's um, something I ask myself and, and I think it's something that varies student to student. Okay. Um, you know, there are students in my program who have families and who are having babies and students in my cohort who are working part-time. Um, and so I think it's, it's all a give and a take and it's all really individual. Um, so for someone who is fortunate enough to um, be able to dedicate their full time to the PhD program, um, I think 
you know, you can anticipate that timeline being a little bit shorter, but um, real life doesn't always allow that. And so, um, you know, some do work. And if you're dedicating a little bit less time to the PhD program, maybe that's where you see a little bit of a longer um, uh, timeline in front of you. But I think it all comes down to planning and time management. And, um, you know, if you have a plan in place and you have, um, you know, I'm, I'm speaking about like a research plan. If you have questions and you have mm -hmm. a research plan in place that you can carry out uh, and you have partners who are, who are um, able to work with you on that plan, um, then that I think makes for the best, best okay. timeline, best outcome. Your program is Rehabilitation Sciences, and it's interdisciplinary. You said earlier you're working with other PTs, OTs, and speech-linguist pathologists. Are you focusing your research on oncology? Are you looking at other areas? Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, that kind of thing? Yeah, I was really fortunate, uh, and one of the requirements actually in applying for this program was to identify a research mentor within the school um, who was willing to take you on if you were accepted. Um, and so I, I sort of let my fingers do the do the walking and found uh, a wonderful mentor, and uh, her name is Lisa Wood, Dr. Lisa Wood, uh, and she's a nurse actually just to reinforce the sort of interdisciplinary yeah. component of all of this. Uh, and she has been working for many years looking at uh, cancer-related fatigue uh, and, and different post-treatment side effects that are affecting uh, cancer survivors. So this is sort of meant to be, and we paired up. And um, so uh, I'm working with Lisa on a few different studies, but, but really focusing on cancer-related fatigue right now. Uh, and my clinical background, and I think you know, everybody's research is hopefully influenced by their clinical practice. Um, my, my, my first love in the clinical world was uh, neuro. Uh, and so I'm, I'm bringing a little bit of, of a neuro aspect. And so um, bringing in you know, the aspect of balance and falls um, and gait into the question of um, cancer-related fatigue and, and cancer survivorship in general. So for you, you finished DPT school, you were in practice for seven years, and then you went back to get your PhD. Is that typical that you see uh, fellow PhD students working for a time and then going and getting their PhD? It actually, that really varies as far as my cohort goes. Um, there are some who actually came straight out of a master's program in, in um, a master's of, of speech language and pathology um, and came straight into the PhD program. Um, others worked clinically for longer periods of time, for shorter periods of time. Others were working um, uh, for many, many years uh, before coming into the PhD program. So I think it varies and, and I think um, there are benefits and drawbacks to, to each approach. Um, but, uh, you know, everybody sort of has their own um, motivation to, to pursue the PhD. And I, and I think that probably um, plays into the, the general timeline in which, which they chose to do this. Mm -hmm. Looking back, are you pleased that you took the time to practice and then are now getting your PhD? For sure. Um, you know, I, in my clinical career, I feel like I was, you know, in the trenches, so to speak, with these cancer survivors and with my colleagues, with, with these, with these um, clinical um, clinicians. Um, so I think I have a, my clinical practice gave me a good grasp on um, 
the population that I want to research and the population that I hope my research benefits, uh, as well as the clinicians that I hope my research benefits as well. What advice would you give to those considering earning their PhD? You know, is it a good idea, first of all? Uh, what would you tell them as far as, you know, advice for preparing to apply and then applying and then, you know, through PhD school? Um, do it, first of all. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, as, as I've mentioned to you, this, this was one of the best decisions, maybe the best decision I've made professionally um, for me personally. Um, so I think uh, more than just deciding to do it, you really have to know why you are pursuing a PhD. Um, you know, not just because it's this shiny achievement to, to, to work towards and check off the box and, and get your PhD. Um, I think successful PhD candidates have a strong motivation behind their pursuit for their PhD. So if you are in clinical practice and you have research questions in mind already, if you're working with a clinical population and you feel like you're not, we as, as, um, as a profession are not doing everything we can to help them, or maybe there's another angle, or you see a certain patient population slipping through the cracks in the healthcare system, and um, you think we can maybe improve that aspect of, of patient care, um, do some research, see if there are gaps, see if there are gaps that, that you can try and fill. Um, and do you want to teach? You know, that's the other sort of endpoint um, that I see at least for, for a PhD program. Um, and if so, why choose a PhD over an EDD, a doctorate of education, or a DSC, a doctorate of science? Um, again, everybody will have different motivations depending on what their um, research interests are. Um, you know, maybe a PhD is just that shiny thing that you have always dreamed of getting. Now, when can we expect to see some published literature from Dr. Steve Wexer, PhD? Ooh, uh, well... <laughs> as I do the math, carry the one. Um, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully 2022 is going to be my end date. That's, that's, that's going to be my um, aggressive end date. Um, but stay tuned, January 2021, I've got my, my first of my three dissertation papers uh, coming out in rehabilitation oncology. <gasps> uh, it's a scoping review. You heard it here first. Very Woo! <laughs> oh my gosh. Podcast exclusive. That's I'm right. so excited. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's wonderful. Well, congratulations on that. First of all, thank you. Thank you. Thank um, you. Very, very exciting stuff. Are you allowed to like tell us what the topic is or yeah, well, do we just have to be surprised? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll reveal a little bit. January 2021 um, is going to be a special issue of Rehabilitation Oncology focused on balance and falls uh, in uh, cancer survivors. Um, so this is a scoping review. Um, what I set out to do um, is really look at all the literature um, that has looked at the effect of chemotherapy on balance, gait, and falls. Um, you know, obviously there um, is a lot of research there, um, but there's been a lot of varying methodology and a lot of varying clinical populations that have been studied. So I wanted to kind of map out what has been done, see if we can summarize the evidence a little bit, uh, which we were able to do. I'll also say that. Um, and so, yeah, I'm proud of it. Uh, stay tuned. 
Oh, well, it's a shame that CSM isn't happening in person this year. Otherwise, you could take your edition and get it autographed by Steve at the <laughs> annual meeting. That's right. Well, I've gotten good at digital signatures. So. Oh, perfect. Okay. We can just send a PDF your way. That's awesome. Super congratulations on that, Steve. Thank you. That's a huge accomplishment, just all the work that I know goes into that and then, you know, getting things ready for publication, getting accepted, da, 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 da. So very, very much congratulations on that. Very Thank wonderful you. accomplishment. And I'm excited to see it. Thanks. Me too. Hey. Okay. I'm not sure I understand. Oh, my watch is going off. Uh, Siri, let me explain to you. The PhD was developed in Germany. <laughs> 1650. Oh my gosh. So any last words of advice or wisdom to, you know, Anko PTs out there who are, you know, maybe considering, is this a right move for me to make at some point in my future? Yeah. Um, think about it and then think about it again uh, and be sure about it. You know, it, it's, it's a big commitment. Um, time-wise, financially, it's a big commitment. Um, your, your family and friends and loved ones sort of have to be on board as well. Um, so be sure, um, but it's, it's, a, it's a great commitment to make, um, both for our profession, for our patients. Um, and so I, I encourage all to, to consider it. Hey, Steve, thank you so very much for coming on the podcast today and talking all about your experience as a PhD student. It's been exciting because, you know, we first met a couple years ago, I think, at CSM and now, you know, have obviously started and are on year two, which is really, really cool. Again, for those of you listening um, later on, January 2021, we'll have that special edition of um, the annual public or the not annual publication, but the rehab oncology. So you can read Steve's awesome scoping review going to be really, really great. I will do a backlink to that whenever it does get released. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you so much, Steve. And congratulations. Thanks so much. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for staying to the end of the episode and listening to that great interview with Steve Wexler. I'm super glad that he came on the podcast again and really learned a lot from him about what it means to get your PhD and what that entails and potentially could lead to for, you know, us as OncoPTs. I wanted to let you know that tomorrow, Thursday, September 24th, 2020, is the last day that you can get the early bird special pricing on the OncoPT Level 1 eval course. So don't miss this opportunity. It's a really, really great course that is going to empower you to know exactly how you can level up your oncology evaluations for five of the most common cancer diagnoses and be able to know exactly how to start helping your patients right away. So register now and I will see you inside the course. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Onco PT Podcast. For more episodes, visit theoncopt.com.